0: Welcome to the Get Off Set podcast. I'm a. D- <laughs> my name is Emily. Uh,
1: my name is Andrew, and don't be so hard on yourself. It happens.
0: As you know, that meme watch people that that Reddit watch people die inside. I swear to God, it would have been just like that. Would have. Oh my gosh!
1: And joining us today is Clint, our good friend.
2: Hi, I'm Clint, <laughs> and I practice loving and accepting myself.
1: Well, thanks for coming on the show. So for those of you wondering uh, what's going on with Emily's self-deprecation, all of us collectively have been talking for about the last 15, 20 minutes now. And
0: I hit uh, the intro and I didn't hit record.
1: And it it happens. So we are here. We we got our vocal cords warmed up. You guys missed out on a little bit of goofiness. Um, I think to recap is I got stung by a bee and I deserved it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, clint got stung sure. by a, a bee and p- possibly deserved it
2: yeah i deserved it you shouldn't you shouldn't expect your hives barefoot let's put it that way
1: and emily had a uh, had an experience on reverb where she sold something that was working fine when she sent it buyer claimed it didn't work and then refused to give any evidence for it ended yeah. up getting itself sorted out emily is soon to you receive it back, back in the mail
0: yeah, it should um, come in tomorrow. I'm going to film an, a, a re-unboxing of it. Uh,
1: none of us are convinced. Uh, sp- and, of course, I'm speaking on Clint's behalf here because I definitely had a chance to hear his opinion. Uh, that's a lie. I didn't get his opinion. But I'm assuming <laughs> his opinion is uh, we don't think it was actually broken. It was user error because it was an envelope filter. Those can be difficult to use. And based on the video that we were sent for troubleshooting, uh, it looks like there was just some issues with the input levels and that the, yeah. the user is giving. So.
0: Basically, the thing about an envelope filter is if if you don't turn up the volume on your instrument, it's probably not going to work.
1: Wow, wait a woman, explain to me
2: how envelope filters work.
0: <laughs> That's not a thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate That's it. That's not a thing. I get confused with my pills, too.
0: Yeah, so uh. Uh, I remember the guy from the last video, and it kind of, when he turns all the knobs, it sounds like you can hear that very, very fank thwomp thwomp and the and the acoustic amplifier he's using with his bass guitar and uh i sent him a message and it said I just said two quick que- uh just three quick questions uh just a little bit of troubleshooting one is the volume turned up all the way on your bass guitar two if it is do you know what the output of your pickups is and three, just in general, have you tried it with another instrument? He just he kind of went off, to be honest. He's like, I'm not going to send you another video. I bought this for this rig; it doesn't work for me. I'm like, okay, well, just send I mean, it back, and I'm getting if, my I'm getting my restocking
3: fee. So,
1: right. I mean, if if a buyer is or if a seller is trying to be helpful, so here here's my takeaway: if you buy something off of Reverb and, it, and you are having issues with it out of the box message the seller and if they're willing to work with you and help you troubleshoot and get to the bottom of it that is excellent customer service you don't even yeah. get that in like some guitar shops you're like it's not working right They're like okay leave uh, yeah.
0: well thank you for saying that because so I felt like I was trying to give excellent service
1: I think that's that is going above and beyond and I think everyone who receives that kind of res- service back if, if it does turn out to be broken that's fine but they're trying to work with you and so why be why be why be mean? You know? Yeah. Life's too short to be mean and entitled and all Karen-y. Um, it, so yeah, let's avoid he co- that.
0: yeah, I mean, and he said that he thought the puddle was gonna blow up his amp. I'm like, it's an envelope filter, my guy. Like, I don't
1: think- uh, I do love hyperbole. It's it's a it's an effective form of communication. <laughs> is it? Uh, in certain it is. It is a, a very effective form of communication in certain circumstances. Um, you know, I would go as far as to say it's effective in all circumstances.
0: <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> I see what you did there. So, um, hey, Clint, hey. You're so, up my Clint,
2: Yeah. I'm hyperbole. I,
0: uh, <laughs> so, uh, just so y'all know, um, some of some of the listeners might might know Clint from Yoldy Facebook groups, and uh, his his brother Cole is one of the hosts of the Gear Slum. But Clint well, is a, a, a guitarist in his own right and also an intellectual property lawyer.
2: Yeah. How exciting is that? I think I it's, think pretty, it's pretty sink and exciting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you have some exciting guitars.
2: Yeah. I've I've been through a lot of guitars, you know, buying and selling and trading. I only have a few now and it's weird because... Uh... In this room I'm in, this this spare bedroom that has become my office since quarantine, I've got an Ernie Ball St. Vincent, which is very cool. Um, Those are phenomenal. I had my eye on it for like years before I finally found a used one that I really liked. It's the original blue and it's beautiful.
0: Oh, I love those guitars. They're so cool looking.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And the neck is awesome. And then downstairs, I have one of Kevin Equitz uh, Rayburns, nice. which is very cool.
0: Oh, always a good choice. He makes such great guitars. I want to yeah. buy
2: one someday. <laughs> yeah,
0: and not just design one. <laughs> I want to buy one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I got lucky with this one. It was uh, It was for a charity. Oh, that's um, right. But the charity, you know, the charity didn't really appreciate handmade instruments and so it didn't sell and he said hey someone needs to buy this they'll get a good deal and you won't have to wait two years and i said i could do that
0: yeah that's that's a good way to 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 skip the line
2: (laughs) yeah i've not regretted it it's an awesome instrument
0: Mm -hmm. oh so cool and such a great guy
2: kevin's a good dude yeah
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um gosh now i'm just like completely like a little flabbergasted by the whole like not recording like we should be like 21 minutes in and it's my (laughs) fault that we're only six minutes in so i mean i guess the question is at this point like do we want to just get into the topic uh talk about our sponsors and get into the topic andrew uh
1: i i mean sure don't ask me what's new with me
0: Oh, I thought you were talking about getting stung by the bee. That was the new thing, but was, I guess that was quite old. That was like I'm, a year ago. Yeah. No, well, everyone missed the story, but just to be clear, Andrew did not listen to other people when he did something that everyone said was a bad idea. and was going to get him stung. And you're actually, I kind of think you're lucky you only got stung once, to be honest.
1: Uh, I mean, that's probably true.
0: Because was it hornets, you said?
1: Yellow jackets. Actually, or the
0: bees. Okay, I think they can sting more than once, too.
1: They can, and it's not fun. Uh, I'm pretty sure I killed the one that was stinging my leg. Like, I smacked it really hard. I kind of, like, dangled off by the stinger for a second and then fell.
0: Uh, oh, God, that's the
1: worst. <laughs> was, that really gra- was that too graphic? Should I should I have warned everyone?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. That was, like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, go. Okay. What is new with you, Andrew?
1: Uh Nothing is really new with me in the gear world this week, but I did, uh, on a food level, I made carne asada tacos this week, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Nice. uh, I I did flank steak, and I make my own carne asada marinade uh, using uh, a number of things, but one of the things that just really makes it pop is using dried chilies. So uh, Yes. Used a bunch of guajillo chilies. Uh, usually I usually use a combination, but that's all I had left in my stash. And I didn't want to venture out too far in search of just one ingredient. Um, so, yeah, no, I did the whole marinade, sat it, uh, let it, the flank steak sit for 24 hours, and then uh, brought it out, seared it over charcoal, got some hardwood lump charcoal going pretty dang hot with a couple chunks of hickory mixed in for some good flavor. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, chopped it all up, threw it over... Uh, on some tacos. No sour cream because that would be terrible. That's not what a taco is. You don't put sour cream on tacos. That's that's
2: evil. That's wrong.
0: Uh, I, okay. We'll disagree we on need that to, one. we agree to watch. disagree,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not about to get into how, like, rude that is, but... If we're going uh, for, like, authentic taco truck-style tacos, yeah, no sour cream. But that's what no what one's going to tell me what to do in my taco. You're, my taco, my choice
1: absolutely correct putting sour cream on a taco is rude I, I agree with you so that's more or less what's what's new with me uh for this week we'll see what happens next week i think the plan is to i think i'm gonna in this next week i'm gonna play some more uh some heavy metal stuff i'm gonna have a little bit more fun in the heavier side of things oh that oh i take that back okay I, one one more thing since since I'm already talking and you guys have my attention uh, I tried something new with my setup so I've got my board which is uh, my pedal board is set up with an iridium on it so I can go direct and I've just been plugging the board into my amp at home and turning the iridium off um, just for playing at home like yeah one amp in the chain is enough and then I had this thought to myself I'm like wait a minute what would happen if I ran the iridium into the deluxe not supposed the, the, to
0: yeah the manual says do not <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i did
0: yeah i think a lot of people have
1: and i actually kind of liked it i was running the uh the ac30 model into the front of my uh tone king deluxe and oh wow something about the combination of that worked really de- it, was, it wasn't like a huge sound but it definitely sounded decent uh and i actually kind of liked it
0: did you say that tone king cool. or is it tone master
1: uh it's a tone master you are correct i am wrong Uh, i misspoke uh fender deluxe reverb tone master it's
0: like when did you get a tone king is that a thing am i misremembering no tone kings are great but that's cash
1: money and uh i am not very cash money so that wasn't very cash
0: money of you that's an old meme isn't
1: it it's a meme that doesn't get enough respect And I think it needs to be resurrected more frequently because it's, it's just very appropriate, very frequently.
2: I like it. I'm I'm old enough that, that I still remember basically all the memes my kids tell me, because I, that's how I communicate with them. We,
0: there's also like, you probably had memes when the internet was young. Like I did. I'm probably just a little bit younger than you. And, uh, we had lots of memes back then too, but they were just not called memes quite yet.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I bet you're more than a little younger than me.
0: I'm yep. 31.
2: I am. I don't know how 40, old you are. I'm forty-four this oh, this month.
0: Yeah. That's I
2: have I have two months. two of my kids are out of the house. <laughs> I have two adult kids who are gone. <laughs> totally. I have no children. <laughs>
0: I'm not a regular mom. I'm an old mom.
2: <laughs> when I, I, I'm I'm an old dad that feels even older, <laughs> and my bulb.
0: Nah, I think you're te- that. Technically makes you a young dad. My my. <laughs> did we talk last last week about this, Andrew? Like my grandmother was like in her early forties when she became a grandmother.
1: That that oh, sounds yeah. about right. I mean, that's where I. That's where my my folks are in their their early forties when I, I had wow. my Wii One. Yeah.
2: All right. mm. Oh, so I, got, I ended up speaking of new gear. I ended up with a a Tone Master. I was oh. kind of getting rid of stuff and trading around, but I wanted the the new pod the line six pod go, which is very cool. And I ended up trading a bunch of stuff and Getting rid of my Princeton because I have a Benson that I really like, and so I never play in the Princeton anymore. And so I want—I ended up with a Tone Master, and I got rid of my um, Strymon stuff and my um, HX Stomp, and and got the the Podgo, which is freaking awesome. Actually, I don't know if Cole told you this, but our our cousin is in charge of the Helix division over there, oh. her cousin's husband. What? Yeah. Oh.
1: I'm sorry, wow. to say that again?
2: Uh, Eric Klein, at, over at Line 6, he married our cousin, so we keep in touch with him, and he's in he's in charge of uh, of the Helix division. You know, the Helix was his baby, and so we kind of uh, check out all his new stuff. But, like, the, the stomp, the HX stomp was just too complex for me. I liked it and I liked playing around with it, but it it was kind of too many options and I didn't understand them all. And I got lost. Um, And Eric was like, you need to try the pod go because it's meant for playing around with the normal stuff. I mean, stuff that 99% of the guitarists want to use. And it's totally true. It's easy to use and you have a lot of cool effects and amp sims and cab sims, but I don't get lost and I can just play it. So I, nice. I love that thing. So check out that pod go.
1: Oh, I have been want to get my hands on that. It seems like a really, really solid entry level price point with more than entry level, uh, like delivery. Cause you figure yeah. that, they're selling that for what, five or 600.
0: Well, the HX no, stop 450. is 600. Four,
2: yeah. No, the pod go is 450. And the whole point was to get to an entry-level price point, but it's got it's got most it's got most of the functionality of the Helix or the HX stomp, um, but the processor is smaller, so a few things get booted, but basically everything I want, um, and it has a you know, it has kind of the signal chain set up in, in normal ways <laughs> that, that most of us want to deal without. Without you know spending hours um, fiddling and seeing if we find something new we, there's just a whole lot of nice tried and true signal paths that uh, right that right go through I, I really do like it and for 450 it it was a killer. yeah I mean and it's that's...
0: smaller than my pedal board even
2: yeah, yeah, it's nice and small still has the treadle there and I usually don't use a volume pedal. Um, So it's been nice to play around with that a little bit. My kids like it.
1: Well, like I just, I mean, I've got a Strymon Iridium as my amp on my pedal board and that's 400 bucks. I mean, that's 80% of the way (laughs) to the price point of the go and that doesn't even have anything else built into it. So just thinking about it from that perspective is like, wow. Um, So I think that's one of the things I'm recommending like my church gets just as a house pedal board doesn't need to be super fancy and the idea is uh any of the teenagers or any of the young adults who come on with their electric guitar and just want to plug and play with the church equipment makes it so much easier to do when, when you got equipments getting shared around like that that just makes a whole lot of sense um previously it was like the the helix floor was great for that but that's also 1500 bucks and so trying to convince a church with a limited budget to spend 1500 bucks versus 500 bucks i mean that's that's a big difference
2: yeah totally and it's very cool. I, I, Eric showed me around, um, his offices, uh, like two years ago. Um, and he was showing me some of the stuff they do to, to make the realistic models, uh, you know, the digital models of amps and cabs and, uh, all sorts of things. And just the, the stuff they had in these rooms under lock and key, tons of vintage stuff, uh, you know, the most expensive and, Sought after amps and pedals and guitars, and it was it was just so awesome to stand there and say, yeah, this is what I do for work. Is I just play this dumble, and you know, we try to capture the sound. <laughs> I
1: like, right, that's so I, really I kind of
2: like your job more than my job right now.
1: Are they? Hiring? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I'm
0: mean, going to be that sounds awful. Because <laughs> then What's everyone's the- going to be like, your ear is terrible if you don't like recreate it. just the way they want. Also, man, that's just like, that's a lot of little AB, like changing things and then changing them back and then changing them again. It's like, imagine if you just like were at the, at the optometrist's office and they had that thing in front of you and they were scrolling <laughs> through those. But it was like your job to not... Not make your vision something that you like, but make your vision look just like some like something else that already exists. Wow, no, hard test.
1: <laughs> well, speak for yourself. Uh, as someone, uh, so my day job is more like uh, engineering, ar- architect, um, for uh, IT and audio, video stuff. I mean, that's some of what I do already. Is a lot of AB work and trying to make, see what works and what doesn't. So taking that and kind of transferring it, that actually sounds really neat. I think I'd really enjoy that
0: all right talk to that guy and see how much i'm sure he likes this job a lot i just can't imagine i can't i don't have the patience for that like my writing it's like 80 of the way there and then i ship it i'm not i don't have the mindset for perfectionism at all
2: <laughs> well yeah he doesn't do all the a being himself let's put it mm-hmm. that way
0: he just he just no, he's, does he's the big boss <laughs> yeah <laughs> yikes all right. Um. So let's thank our sponsors.
1: Yay. I like being, I like thanking people. That's, that's always nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hand it to yourself today. It sounds like.
1: Uh. Yeah. I mean, I like to be positive. Granted, that's not really a great word in 2020, but.
0: Oh, I get it. All right. <laughs> it's, 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 a really,
1: it's a COVID joke. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh our first sponsor is a uh, spun loud effects based out of Seattle, Washington. They just released the blister and peel V two and that's a dual I don't I, I sure gonna call it a dual fuzz, um, because it can be a dual fuzz, but can it also it can also be a fuzz and a clean boost or a fuzz and a light overdrive and a fuzz and a distort like the, the sweep on the blister side, it it go really does go from clean boost to nasty of octave fuzz it's really great work and it's andrew's favorite color
1: yeah it's orange and as we discussed last week uh our if we want covid to stop we need to buy more orange things and i know that that might seem like pie in the sky kind of like whoa like come on man let's be a little bit more reasonable like no when
0: andrew says buy orange things he means buy orange face masks and wear them everywhere
1: sure uh, I suppose that would probably be very effective, since that's what you know all of the doctors are telling us to do. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, sorry, that came out sounding way more sarcastic, but I really meant that sincerely. Like, wear a mask. It's not that hard. It's not. Um, it's really not. Um, anyway, it's literally no. the
0: least you can do to for to to show your love of others.
1: I'm a fan of it, um, but you know, I'm you know, I'm just a guy who believes in a certain religious belief system that's about protecting the vulnerable and serving others before yourself. So, you know, what, what am I saying?
2: I think the sarcasm oh, came across there. in that one.
1: There we go. There we go. I'm working on. <laughs> Anyways, buy orange masks or buy whatever mask. Just wear a mask, and uh, also buy spun loud because they're good people, and it's a really cool unit, and it's also orange. So if you buy a mask and you buy an Orange Spun Loud pedal, then I think that's that's pretty much the trifecta of perfecting the year 2020, and I, I really strongly recommend it.
0: Was that three things?
1: Yeah, it's it's an orange, it's a fuzz, and a mask.
0: Okay, I thought you two orange things. I thought you were calling two orange things a trifecta.
1: I mean, it's a dual pedal, so if you think of it as two pedals in one... It's like uh the the it's like the Trinity, but instead of three it's two, but that's also a really terrible theological analogy that I'm not gonna dig into too. Don't hard.
0: start, don't start, don't start, don't start. don't, don't start, start. Me now. I'm having such a good time. uh so who's our other sponsor? I haven't heard of these schmoers. Right.
1: Uh, other sponsor is going to be Fox Cairo, and I promised I would deliver this in less than sixty seconds, and I'm also counting sixty seconds from when I started. Mm-hmm. So I've got got about 50 seconds left to go. 45 seconds, 45 seconds. All right. So in 45 seconds, uh, 42, I'm going to tell you that I've actually been having a huge blast running Fox Cairo lately. Uh, For those of you who have bought a pedal topper, thank you so much. For those of you who have bought a custom pedal topper, you guys are the real MVPs. And so here's here's how this works is you go to the website and you scroll through the list of artists that I've partnered with. I've partnered with a list of artists, uh, mostly in the guitar community who are also graphic and visual artists, you scroll through, check out their portfolio, see what you like. And if you'd like something, reach out to them, send them an email, say, hey, I want X, Y, and Z. They'll design it for you. And then I'll make it for you. And you get the chance to pay the artist directly. And I can think of no more beautiful thing. And that's my ad roll.
0: Okay. I think you did it. It's close, but I think you made it.
1: It was close, but I made it.
0: Just under, just...
1: 60 seconds or less, uh, like a pizza, yes. except no pizza shows up in 60 seconds or less. That's really meant to be 60 minutes. So, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. so, um, let's, let's dig into the topic, which is, um, I think a, a lot of, uh, so there's a lot of armchair lawyers out there who Me. are, who want to talk about like current, I'm guilty of it for sure. Um, as far as we when we hear about trademarks and copyrights and patents, and people get them all confused. They're very different things. Um, and people, especially when anything happens involving Gibson taking legal action, it seems to be especially loud specifically for Gibson taking legal action because they I think that we're at a point where people expect it from Gibson. Um, For for a
1: variety of reasons, earned or not earned, Gibson's kind of received this reputation of being a little bit litigious, uh, and whether or not I think that's justified I think is a a separate conversation altogether. But I think today it would be really helpful to look at uh, something that's been brought up recently, which is Gibson's legal – Discourse with satellite amplifiers, uh, or more more specifically Adam Grimm, the man behind satellite amplifiers. And so what the goal is today is just kind of run through and take a look at some of the bits of the case here. And Mm -hmm. in our best attempt to be objective, to kind of take ourselves out of it because we uh, consider ourselves to be friendly to small builders and want to support them as much as possible, uh, we're going to try and take ourselves out of that bias and just sit back and say, okay, well, what's actually going on here? Why is this happening?
0: What are the actual rules surrounding what's happening? Um, and just to clear people up, uh, satellite amplifiers, um, makes and has made for the past several years, uh, their own version of the Coronet, which was an, originally an Epiphone guitar. Um, a very kind of, uh, hipster popular, I guess. Like it's, it's, Epiphone released like it it in 1959.
1: Now. It's a double cut single slab body. Um, little on the thin side and honestly, as it was
0: of, their response to fender guitars. Cause they were just getting their butts kicked. Um, that is Caesar. the rumor on the
1: street is that That's it's exactly a Telecaster just with an extra cut. So it's a double Well, cut regardless.
0: Uh, well, we're, okay. We're, we're really getting farther away from it. But, um, so Epiphone had previously made guitars called Cornets and, uh, now Satellite Amplifiers makes guitars and they've named their model the Coronet. Not a C model, not a other cutie name, but actually calling it a Coronet. Which... They're
1: calling it a Coronet. It looks like a Coronet. It's got the same body shape and yes. uh, it's got a different headstock, I think, but it's uh, the same pickguard shape. I mean, it, there it's very clearly what it is. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Right. So... I mean, it couldn't be more clear. So right. now Gibson, even though um, Adam was able to get a pass, a trademark on the name Coronet because it hadn't been previously registered by Gibson or had expired, I'm not sure. That's something that we could talk to Clint about. Right. But, so um, yeah. the
1: information on that specifically is Gibson stopped making production models in 1999, and they have not made it since the argument that gibson's brought forth in a response is that they've been making it occasionally for signature artists on the side and offering that and that would gives them their claim but mm-hmm. that's where it starts to get into the gray area of how long does it how long does a company have to neglect a patent if in fact they were neglecting a patent before it's fair so, game to others
0: yeah so let's 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 start let's let's start asking some questions
2: yeah <laughs> Um Clint, yeah. Let me just start with a saying- trademark issue, not a patent issue.
0: Right, right. Did, yeah. I know I said patent at least once, so I meant to say
2: trademark. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
0: I'll fix it in post. No, I won't.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> nah. But yeah, I mean, pat- patents and trademarks are different things. This is, and this lawsuit looks like it's a um, an issue in front of the trademark office. It's not like in. A district court or anything right
1: it's specifically not a lawsuit all as far as i'm aware um that's been reported it is a it is a
2: lawsuit it is a lawsuit it's just before the trademark trial and appeals board
1: okay i i stand corrected this is why we bring you on this is why (laughs) i should never be an armchair lawyer
0: is satellite being is satellite being sued then is that what that means
2: yeah it's a it's a petition for cancellation so it looks like that satellite did register um, the Cornet trademark uh, with the Federal Trademark Office. and so they have a registered um, trademark and rights to it and Gibson filed a, a, a petition to cancel their trademark. So they've got to prove that um, that satellite doesn't have the right to use that trademark.
0: Mm hmm. So um, is is there a reason you think or it looks like that Gibson is bringing this this into the um, bringing up this lawsuit now versus immediately after or like five years from now?
2: Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> and that makes it a little difficult. I mean, if if and I'm just totally speculating because I'm not involved in the case at all. Um, but my guess is that they want to do some kind of reissue, you know, yeah. Gibson filed for the trademark for Coordinate last month. Um, and so they want to get a, they want to register a trademark for that, but it already exists. And that's why they're filing a, a petition to cancel. Um, it's the, true. Do brands
0: only have a certain amount of time before they can submit that petition? Like, do they have uh, to, like, is, is there like a, um, a statute of limitations on it?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's not, re- well, no, it's not really a statute of limitations, but um, after after Satellite, you know, registered or tried to register Coronet, it would have gone through prosecution with one of their examiners. And then when the examiner allows it, they publish it for opposition. And then you have, uh, anybody has a few months to go and oppose that. Um, oh, just
0: a few months?
2: Yeah, and then not having oh. it opposed, then it gets registered. And once it's registered, you have to you have to petition to cancel it, which is harder than just opposing it. So, yeah, Gibson wasn't looking at the specific trademark um, when it was being prosecuted, so they didn't get to oppose it. And now they have to move to cancel it. I didn't see that Gibson ever had... Um, a registered trademark for Cornet. maybe maybe Epiphone did. I don't know. Have they? I don't know if they were ever a different entity.
0: They were. They were bought by uh, Gibson at um, a certain point. Is my so understanding.
2: We, yeah, maybe Epiphone had a registered trademark, but um, mm-hmm. I didn't see one, and there's certainly not one that's live. Yeah. Right, um, I, so my uh, guess is, is they want to start doing something with that name, and so they're trying to to clear the streets.
0: Is it, is it odd that such a large brand wouldn't register a trademark for one of their guitar names? Like they're such a big brand.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and you go back and forth on whether you want to try to register every one of your models, because you don't want to, you don't want your trademark to be the product. Generally, you want the trademark to be the company, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh that's why velcro velcro had a had kind of an advertising blitz that was kind of funny where they were trying to get everybody to call it velcro, velcro brand and not just any hook and loop to be velcro. oh right
0: because they didn't want to become basically the generic name for it like a You're kleenex
2: right. yeah or a band-aid um mm. yeah the, the word for that is genericide, where your trademark becomes so popular that it refers to the product instead of your business. and it becomes generic. Yeah. So, like I didn't realize
0: onesie was one of those trademark words until I worked for a company that sold baby <laughs> bodysuits and we had yeah. to call them baby bodysuits. I'm like, that is not as cute. That's not cute at all.
2: No. No. Or like, uh, or like jet skis, you know, jet ski doesn't, isn't a huge brand anymore, but everybody calls them jet skis, which I think um, is a huge, which I think is a huge failure in our collective vernacular because we should have always been calling them motorcycles, in my opinion.
0: (laughs) Just, oh God. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I know, I just feel like brands a lot of times now they do register trademark names for all their products. I mean, I think Earthquaker has registered trademark names before their pedals were even announced or released. Is there, do you think there's a reason that brands would, like, is, is, is there another reason that people, I guess I don't really have a question there at all.
3: Do I?
2: (laughs) No, I I mean, the reason is, the reason is you want protection and if you can associate the word with your business, at least you have the presumption um, uh of the the federal registration and it, it can be useful. Um, But yeah, I was, uh, I was talking to a a different pedal maker and he has he has a registered trademark for each of his pedal names but Mm -hmm. not for the not for the company name which i think is is crazy but hey i'm not his lawyer so there you go
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um so basically adam had seen that there was no trademark registered for cornet. He decides to start making them. He trademarks the name. So those months go by. Gibson doesn't come after him. And now they're filing for the cancellation. Uh, and I know that you said it's harder to get the trademark back via a cancellation. Does it, is this something that happens often? And if it does, is it usually successful?
2: Oh, it really depends. It happens a lot. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of trademark oppositions and cancellation proceedings. Um, they get ugly and painful and almost never go to trial because the fact finding a discovery phase is a pain in the butt. Um, but, but yeah, uh, the thing about a trademark is the ultimate question is, are people going to be confused as to where this guitar is coming from. Will people, will an ordinary consumer think this is a Gibson product, this is an Epiphone product, or it's somehow um, affiliated with or sponsored by or approved by a Gibson Epiphone? And so satellite might run into some problems because the reason they picked it was because it was an Epiphone model that has some certain following on the other yeah. hand, they haven't used that name in forever. Uh, they, at this point, Satellite has a good argument that people don't associate newly made guitars with that name because you haven't sold that guitar under that name in a long time. And, and I think Satellite filed an answer last week. Yeah, and that's one of their grounds is that, look, If you ever had rights in his name, you abandoned them. Um, And there's there's a bunch of different things to consider in abandonment. But, I mean, if you haven't used it in commerce in three years, I believe there's a presumption that you've abandoned it. So, Gibson, you weren't using it. We were. The rational consumers associate us with Coronet rather than you.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. They they both have arguments. And what it comes down to is, you know, the judges on the trademark board are trying to see into the minds of an ordinary consumer. And since that's such a fact-based question, um, it tends to be more expensive because the fact-finding discovery is more intense. Um, You have to really develop and put forward your best arguments and you just have to see what the, what the judges say and because that's an expensive proposition.
0: Yeah, it might <laughs> depend on whether or not the judges play guitar.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, I feel like from from a distance, you could, as Gibson say, like, hey, this is confusing. They're the same shape and the same name. I think that that could, I can see it. Yeah, but at the same time, if they haven't used this trademark, this this name even since the '90s, that's an that's an odd one.
2: Yeah, and there's several factors. There's depending on the jurisdiction, but you look at at least six factors on consumer confusion. You look at how much the product costs. You know. You're, you're more likely to be mistaken if you're buying something for $3 at the checkout stand than you are if you're spending thousands of dollars on a custom guitar, you know. Um, you look at the overlap in marketing. You look at uh, advertising means. Oh, did I shut off here? Sorry. Um, you look at a lot of things to try to get into the mind of the consumer, and it's, and it's difficult because you're trying to get the judge into the mind of the consumer that you are putting forward without letting the judge, um, you know, impose his or her own bias. uh, You know, what he thinks. I had a trademark case in the 10th circuit um, court of appeals. And that was the biggest thing. It was a three judge panel. And I was trying to convince the lead judge that, look, you, you can't, you can't, just assume that you're the consumer. You're not allowed to say this is what I see. Therefore, this okay. is how I rule. I mean, the law specifically says you don't get to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So it's, it's hard not to do that. It's hard not to do that and say, "Well, I could be a consumer." You know, how do you know I don't buy guitars? So it 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 gets complex. It can get expensive. Um, it's possible that Gibson is just throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall. And then now that satellite has answered and indicated that it's willing to put up a fight, uh, we'll probably see who wants to invest in that fight and how much.
1: So here's a, here's a question I wanted to, to pose. And I'm not sure that this is, there's any validity, validity to this, but the thought that had, that kind of crossed my mind is so the cornet is one of a couple of different of Epiphone models that all sport uh, the same or very similar body shapes. Uh, so one the two the two are one is the Crestwood and the other one is the Wilshire. Crestwood was a um, was a cornet with more uh, more on the the spec list, um, but that was discontinued in nineteen seventy, I think, permanently and hasn't been reissued. And then the other one, which has been more contemporarily reissued, is the Epiphone Wilshire. It's got a very similar—it was originally made with the same body, uh, the, that symmetrical look, and is, was then modified to a slightly asymmetrical but still based on the Coronet uh, body shape and has been reissued as recently as 2009. Would that have any bearing on whether or not uh, there's any claim to the Coronet of saying, hey, under the ep- name Epiphone, which Gibson does own, uh, we, we reissued a very similar guitar from that same era and lineup originally? Would that have any bearing on that?
2: Oh, yeah, it could. And we'll see if they bring it up. But that, you know, raises another interesting question on whether the, the body shape itself can be the subject of a trademark. Um, I think where we are now is it can. But the, the history of guitars in general on the trademarking has been pay attention to the headstock and not the body. Because the body shape itself is, is functional. It, uh, it's how the guitar fits and feels and how you play it. And you don't get a trademark of function. Um, and, and this is where I think Fender kind of blazed the trail way back when, where they got some rejections on their body shapes. And decided to just go ahead with the headstock shapes because you can make the headstock any shape you want. It's not really interacting with your body or, or how you're playing it. So that's that's become the signal of, of origin identifier, you know, where the goods are coming from. And I think Gibson is trying hard to bring back the idea that the that the body shape isn't all function there's a definite definite design element to it, but, but they have, they have history in the industry to fight against. Um, but I do think they they have filed a bunch of registrations for body types, uh, by shapes. So I think, mm-hmm. I think they're, I think they're fighting to overturn the presumption in the industry right now.
0: Well, I mean, they would put a lot of, builders potentially completely out of business if you if no one else could build a less paul looking guitar but how can they patent i'm sorry how can they like make a trademark claim possibly make a trademark claim against the body shape when their the, their own body shapes are modeled after Bigsby guitars very clearly <laughs> and that the coronet as andrew was getting into is a, essentially like a Telecaster with a mirror, like, down this, like the middle of it.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. it, it's shaped like a double-cut Telecaster with some more beveled edges instead of the cutting board shape uh, that the Fender Telecaster has always supported. Uh, something I do want to point out real quick before we get too far past the headstock is the Coronet over the years has had a couple of different headstocks. You've got the, the one more pointing headstock with all six of the tuners on the top side uh, with a couple of rounded cutouts on the bottom. And the other one being is the three and three, uh, I think is the Kalamazoo headstock shape. I'm trying to dig here for a moment. Um, So then that's what the, uh, what satellite's going for. So there is precedent for one of the two headstock shapes being the trademark. So I guess my question is, let's say, so let's run with a, a hypothetical here for a moment if Gibson is trying to register a trademark cancellation with it, and they go to red, uh, follow through with the trademark registration for the coronet, let's say that they win. Are they able to trademark both head sock shapes under the same name or would they have to pick one? No, they'd
2: be, they'd be different registrations because the mark we're talking about now is just the word mark. So it's just the word coronet, Right. Okay. Nothing to, like
0: completely separate from the body shape. Yeah.
2: And it would be they could file a separate design mark for the body shape, and they'd have to file a couple different design marks for the different headstock shapes. But yeah, the the fight right now is just using the word "Coronet."
1: Okay, so that's that's helpful. So theoretically, satellite amps could continue making them just under a different name if they decided to, to if they end up losing or give this up.
2: Yeah, and you know. Gibson could come after them if they had rights in something. So So, here's
1: one of the questions I want to ask out of a sense of honest to God, journalistic, trying to understand how the industry works from a business perspective. Uh, The question is, is Gibson doing this – Okay, so for reference, a lot of big companies, it's pretty normal for litigation to be ongoing between competitors and just kind of have it, have those wheels constantly spinning. Uh, and I know that Gibson has been purchased by a very large company. Uh, I think KKR is the, the hedge fund manager company that owns them at this point. Uh, and so I, where my headspace in this is... A lot of smaller builders tend to operate on more of these handshake kind of, hey, I, I don't be a jerk to you. You don't be a jerk to me. We kind of just work it all out. And this is a community. And now we've got Gibson, which is a much bigger player that's more big business minded. And regardless of whether or not that's considered taboo in the, amongst the smaller builders of the industry, business is business. So is what is this level of business operation kind of, normal? Is this strange? Would you classify this as aggressive? I mean, what are we looking at here? Because part of what I've heard a couple people say is like, well, this is just how business works, and small builders can complain all they want, but this is just kind of how the game is played, and Gibson is just playing the game well. So I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on that in in as journalistic of a sense as possible.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the idea that the that we have an efficient industry on the smaller side I, I think may look good and we may want to believe that. But, but I do have several clients, um, you know, boutique builders and mid-size builders in this space, and the handshake deals don't always work. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think we don't like to make a big deal of them because there tends because a lot of advertising word of mouth happens on social media, and when someone starts complaining about getting sued, um, there is a lot of backlash. And even if that lawsuit's justified, I think some of the smaller builders who rely on social media word of mouth and and a, a kind of groups of, of followers or supporters. Um, it it makes them hesitant to go to the mattresses because it, it can backfire easily. But like you said, Gibson's a bigger player and they have, they may have different considerations. Um, And when you're in the trademark realm, the, the idea is if you're not protecting and enforcing your area of trademarks, you lose them. Um, because the more people that 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 use a name to reference something or use a descriptor to reference something, the more that becomes generally accepted uh, and you just lose the rights in that because you're not enforcing. And it's different from a copyright or a patent because you get rights in those based on your creativity or your innovation. Um, Trademark, you get rights in those based on your use and specifically on your exclusive use. So policing your trademark portfolio is one of those things that companies have to do, but they don't necessarily like doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that sounds like that could be someone's uh, bigger companies. Like I would imagine you have an entire team of lawyers and I don't know how smaller people builders or creators who have trademarks even can police the use of them.
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's actually pretty easy. You just have a, you have a Google alert or you have um, an alert on the trademark site. So when anything you're interested in in your space or any of your registrations or names pop up is being filed for or approved, you get a notice, and then you get to file that opposition instead of the cancellation proceeding. Mm-hmm. Gibson, Gibson wasn't <laughs> monitoring this during the time it was being prosecuted. So now they're, they're, they're trying to cancel it after the fact. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Right. And I, I think it's interesting that you, you brought up the, uh, kind of dispelling the, the notion that I introduced the conversation of this, the handshake deals in the, in the more boutique end of the industry. And, I think that's important to understand that not necessarily all of our favorite builders are lawyer-free and just kind of running with it because um, that's yeah. something I've – that's an argument. I've Some heard of them really hire online. jerks
2: like me even, so there you
0: go. <laughs> that's not very uh, punk rock of them.
1: <laughs> but business is business and so I I, I find myself feeling uh, – I'm going to stick stay away from – sharing what my feelings are but i think there's a there is a a relatively fair argument to be made that gibson is doing what it just needs to be doing to protect its intellectual property and it just depends on how you look at it but i think yeah. that argument is has some validity I mean, that
2: you could make that argument on the other hand is this even their intellectual property anymore? Has it really- That's That's and- the
0: question, isn't
2: it? It's <laughs> yeah, like, and-
0: again, they haven't used it since 1999, like officially. Uh, they they ostensibly knew about this trademark. They knew that these guitars were being made, certainly. They have talked to the builder. They've taken pictures of his guitars at the NAM booth. Um, and... So that, that's where it is for me in kind of bad, weird things. I mean, like, I think one thing that's funny and uh, is that so Fender and Gibson both have Marauder have made guitars called Marauders. First, Fender made them and from like 66 for a couple of years and later in like the 90s, maybe. But then in the 70s, Gibson came out with their Marauder. So I just think I just think that's kind of funny that. Here, satellite is is paying homage to these guitars that they love, and um, they're calling them cornets, and and they're actually coronets. But yeah. back in the seventies, Fender, um, well, Gibson started making Marauders that you know they weren't like the Fender Marauders, not at all. I mean, I find that would think that would be just as confusing.
1: <laughs> so, what's your well,
0: Marauder? Is it?
1: I'm I mean, sure, which... there's there's a number of cases you could look at. Um,
0: before we run out one. of time,
1: one of the questions I, wanna, I wanted to kind of throw Clint's way, um, s- sort of on the same topic, is one of the other things I've heard from a lot of folks is like, hey, why can't Gibson be more like Fender? Fender's pretty cool with, every, like, with the Sir uh, of the world. I and mean, there's so many folks that make Fender-style guitars that are out well, they there. They call and them doing...
0: S-style and T-style.
1: Right, Uh, Tom Anderson and Nash, and you can go through the list. Uh, So is is that really the case? Is is it truly, in fact, that Fender is super chill with this and they're just going with a, yeah, guys, go for it? Or is there something more at play that provides less of a contrast between the two juggernauts in the industry for guitar builders?
2: Well, I yeah, I don't know. I think it it depends on what they're – what their trademark philosophy is, and, and we're just talking about you know one area of their IP portfolio. But we know we know that back in earlier days, Fender made the conscious decision to say we are um, we're basing our trade dress on the headstock, not on the body, and the body becomes fair game, and it, it would be really hard for them to go. Pull that back now. Now, if if someone they have, I'm sure they have registrations on Stratocaster and Telecaster. I'm sure they're not happy when people say this is a, a Stratocaster. They probably get a cease and desist and change it to S style, you know. And mm-hmm. similarly, Gibson won't be happy if people call their guitar a Les Paul style kind of thing. So it it, it kind of just depends on where they've decided to draw the line and what the execs think. Um, and, you know, honestly, what their team of attorneys tell them. And, you know, the attorneys might say the same thing. You, you If you want these rights in your portfolio, you have to enforce them. Otherwise, you risk losing them. And, you know, Gibson's changed executives a couple of times and, and. Maybe they're just coming to terms with where they want to draw that line. And mm-hmm. they're, maybe they're drawing the line too far forward and, and maybe they'll get pushed back. Maybe they'll decide it's not worth paying their lawyers so much to go after everything. Um, but maybe they want to cement their namesake in the industry. So yeah. I, I, I do think it's a, it's a business decision. Are you look? Do you look like you're overreaching, or are you effectively giving away your innovation and your name rights? And you know, as the lawyer, we explain the pluses and minuses and say you have to make your decision. Um, how much do you want to push? How much do you want to pay us to push? Um, knowing the pluses and minuses of what what the outcome could be. So uh, yeah, I I think Fender. I I think Fender seems to play nicer because it doesn't go after. Yeah, it doesn't go after what looks like homage, you know. Mm -hmm. But in in this in this case, Gibson has the argument that look, you're you're making a guitar that looks like our guitar, and you're using the name that we used. The only reason you're doing that is to call attention to our guitar. So yeah. you're you're trading you're trading on our designs. You're enriching yourself on our designs. And but then satellite says, well yeah, but you threw away the design. <laughs> you haven't used it in decades. Right, so right. And my, <laughs> so,
0: I have a question. Is it is it will it be do you think it in your opinion as someone who doesn't have like an intimate understanding of the case would it would it basically be the end of it if Gibson can prove that they were making coronets during no. during this supposed it wouldn't make a difference or it wouldn't be damning.
2: If, oh, if they could prove they were making them,
0: yeah. If they could prove they were making them,
2: yeah. And they they have to prove that they are well. And we go back to the name because it's the fight is over the name of the coronet. They have to prove that they were using. The name in commerce during that time.
0: This can com, can commercially mean. Does it have to be? Does it mean it has to be advertised on the main website, or if it's like in some catalog that people can take a look through when they're choosing yeah. what guitars they want to. Um, to, to if they want to have a cornet built, like, what is that commercial? If it's something that you offer, but maybe like as the secret menu.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you can prove you were using it in commerce, but then if your use is de minimis, it doesn't have the the weight that if you were using it freely and 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 to a large extent. So we go back to trying to convince the judge that that you did use it, and a little bit of use is is good enough to go over, to overcome the argument that you abandoned it. Mm-hmm. So it's... So- it,
0: like, like other things, it's not a black and white issue.
2: <laughs> no, no. And that's, we, we, we call them issues of fact, you know, it's because it's not clear cut. Um, the judges have to weigh a bunch of stuff on the right hand and a bunch of stuff on the left hand. And the lawyers argue their side as hard as they can and then just cross your fingers <laughs> that the judge sees it your way. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is one that, that is, that's totally one-sided. You know, that said, that said, is it, (laughs) how much of a fight is it worth? You know, Um, Mm -hmm. are are both sides ready to spend, you know, 25, 100, 100? two hundred and fifty thousand dollars over this name, or once each side spent thirty grand, are they gonna to come to an agreement? No. I know what happens in almost all of my cases that are trademark oppositions and cancellations <laughs>
0: They usually settle?
2: Yeah, you settle because yeah. and, and that's and that's a big part of my job actually is saying, you know, IP is about money, it's economics, it's a lot of ones and zeros and decimal points and half of my job is saying to the client, if you're not emotionally invested in this, is it worth writing me another $25,000 check to deal with it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll, that'll, That'll make people think.
2: Yeah. And then, and usually they say, well, but I am emotionally invested in it," And then I have to say, okay, just so you're realizing that the twenty five thousand dollar check you're going to have to write is based on your emotion. If you're okay with that, let's move forward.
3: <laughs> yeah, I get it.
0: Cool. Um. Well, this this okay. I'm. Can I just go off topic really quickly? Because there's another kind of trademark dispute in the music industry that I would just like. I have one question about it. Really, truly. Uh, actually, maybe two. But are you familiar with the Lady A saga at all? No. Oh, no. Okay. Well, do you know the band Lady Antebellum? They're a country band? Uh Uh-huh. Well, they announced that they were going to change their name to Lady A. And when they did, there's a, a singer in Seattle who's been going by Lady A for 20 years. But about 10 years ago, the band Lady Antebellum took out trademark on Lady A. However, they've both been existing in the same industry for at least 10 years with the band having this trademark and the singer performing, doing it to make money, never getting a cease and desist or any sort of letter from them. They claim they didn't know that she existed. I just don't understand if that trademark should have been granted how she would have possibly known to, ch- to to oppose it. And if they've not been enforcing it for the past 10 years against someone who's probably played, you know, similar festivals to them, because she's country, uh, their country and she's blues. It's yeah. just such a weird case. I don't really know what's going to happen.
2: Yeah. So Lady A didn't have a registration, right?
0: She did not. Just a okay. little little singer songwriter type. Not well, more than that, but like versus the major label country stars,
2: right? So that'll be interesting because you don't have to get a registration to have trademark rights. I mean, just using your name in commerce gives you certain rights. Um, and you'll see it a lot. You'll see some, you'll see a brand name that says TM, and that just means trademark. I'm using this. Name as a trademark to refer to me as the source of these goods or services. Um, and that's fine. And the strength of your common law trademark depends um, basically on your fame. Uh, how well known is the trademark um, in what industry and how far geographically? And uh, so it's a very common for two companies or two businesses or two artists to have the same name and to operate without running into each other, especially if they're in different industries or fields or different parts of the country. And so your trademark can be limited based on your use to your field, your industry, and your geographic location. Um, And then it's, if those two, brands start to expand and bump into each other, then there can be a problem, which is probably what happened here. So they, they, now that they're expanding and start to overlap, they realize that there's a problem. Um, and so maybe the one can show prior use and fame in one geographic location and the other can show it in a different one. The one with the federal registration has a presumptive right all over the country because it's on the federal register and therefore enforceable, um, everywhere in the federal Republic. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> generally, yeah. generally, um, in a case like that, how I mentioned, we almost always settle. Um, we enter into a coexistence agreement and we just basically say, here's, Here's our lines in the sand. You don't come into my half of the sandbox. I don't come into your half. Or maybe there's a gray area where we're both allowed, but don't go any further and I won't go any further. That can happen. Um, But if you're dealing with it in federal court and one side has a federally registered trademark uh, or you see the circle R, that means your trademark is registered. um, That... That side has a presumption of abuse use based on the the filing of the trademark. So, right. yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good, to, it's good to get the registration.
1: Um, yeah, it,
0: when in doubt, register uh, register your yeah. trademarks. A. Yeah.
1: All right, so I've got one more question before we uh, release you from from the uh, the hold we've got on you. Is, so the one of the concepts you brought up is it's based uh it's going to be based on the judge's assessment of what the consumer market thinks is there anything that the consumer market can do to sway things one way or the other if they feel strongly about supporting either satellite or gibson in this
2: oh man yeah i don't know i don't know
1: <laughs> like is this I mean, the sort of thing where, so, like, if you get hundred thousand signatures on a petition or something like that, where it would have any bearing?
0: I mean, you could maybe I'm, give money to Satellite for his legal defense.
2: <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> could do that. I mean, it, it, it's possible. And then, then the one lawyer could bring that up. Hey, look at all these people who associate coordinate with Satellite. Um, yeah, that could be evidence to help. But you know. If this is a case that's worth lots of money, you hire a survey expert to be an expert witness and he, takes, he or she takes a survey um, and then you produce those results and testify about them to the court. Here's what a survey of a thousand people in the industry is and they say they identify Coronet with Satellite. And then the other side does the exact same thing and say, no, that survey is wrong because it's using too small of a subset of the relevant consumer base, or they ask questions that were biased toward one side or the other. Here's my survey, and it says that people associate it with phone So honestly, no, it just depends on the lawyers and the experts to make the argument.
3: Mm. Well, cool. I I figured Um, that was a question
1: that a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing, (laughs) Um, and I I
2: really appreciate you answering that. Sorry it's not uh, less cynical.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean that's totally all right. I mean there's – we're we're definitely stepping into a world where it's not necessarily the layman's –
0: Yeah, not, not the um, realm. Not necessarily it's the layman's
1: fine. realm. It, not, nobody can be an expert in everything, and I'm not sure I would ever expect everyone to be experts in IP law. But we, yeah. we're all reacting to this because so <laughs> many of us are so invested in uh, the the companies involved in, whether we were friends with any of the parties, et cetera. I mean, there's this is people's livelihood at stake and people's livelihood that we resonate with. And so there's always going to be that gut response. And so... The follow-up, the follow-up to that is, well, what is actually going on? And uh, I think you've given us a really good picture here of getting a, a decent picture is that what that actually looks like in reality, what's going on behind the scenes, helping understand the details of this particular case. And I think that help in the future will help me inform my understanding of other similar cases that are bound to pop up. So we really appreciate I think this is really invaluable information. We really appreciate totally. you coming on the show to uh, share
2: that with us. Yeah, no problem. You know, I hope you get a couple listeners who nerd out over IP like I do. So.
0: I think a lot of more people <laughs> do than, than than you might think. Uh, my husband <laughs> especially will very much enjoy this episode.
2: <laughs> oh, cool!
0: Yeah, but um, if you are uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Get Offset, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. That it really helps us out. Um, we also have a YouTube that you can subscribe to. Check out demos there. Uh, and other fun content in, in the works, uh, hit us up at getoffsetpodcast.com. You can find a le- link there to our Patreon if you want to support us on Patreon. You can support us for as little as a buck a month. For 25 bucks a month, I will write you a song. I'm currently uh, in the process of writing a song for our first ever $25 a month Patreon, Noah Burnett. Woo! woo so uh yeah that's sorry
1: i i I meant to i meant to say who uh but like in an owl sense like
0: yeah no one likes owls so everyone please uh send him owl memes
1: in fact if you're uh, as you're listening to this episode right now please make an owl sound wherever you are and then look around and see who notices don't don't chicken out on this I, i just seriously sit down and be like i just wait for any responses i guarantee you quality entertainment for a lot less money than drugs
0: (laughs) okay well (laughs) thanks for listening thanks for understanding i guess is there anything else
1: (laughs) i don't think
2: so That's
3: wrong uh, podcast. <laughs> blah,
1: blah, blah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. My name is Andrew.
0: I'm Emily.
2: And I'm Clint, your blues lawyer. <laughs>
1: <Bye>.
2: <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.